The Insurance and Injury Law Show, the number to get a hold of Savan anytime you'd like, 416-216-5910. And the uh, email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Lots to cover today. We'll get to mybitdisabilityquestions.com. We'll get to a calculator we have that can uh, do you some good turns. But first, as always, we start with the week that was. I believe you got two cases this week. We do. We have two cases, John. And again, uh, we always start the show with a few cases and lessons to be learned for people out there. Uh, it, this may not come, uh, uh, you know, be useful to you now, but it may be useful to you down the road. So, so listen up. So the first case uh, that I was dealing with is a car accident case. I had a 52-year-old uh, gentleman call me up uh, again after listening to the show, and uh, he was in an accident three years ago. And he he hired a lawyer about um, a month or so after the accident. And it seems like, from what I've been told, this lawyer started a claim for compensation about a week before the two-year limitation period expired. And we've talked a lot about this, about how it's a mistake, in my opinion, to wait until you know the absolutely last day, the last moment to issue a claim, because if something happens, you could be out of time. Mm-hmm. Never a good thing. Anyways, uh, the lawyer started the claim. Now, this gentleman, this 52-year-old gentleman, is a long-distance truck driver, or at least that's what he was. As a result of the accident, which was not his fault, uh, he's developed chronic pain in his back, and and that's disabled him from continuing uh, to work as a long-distance truck driver. Uh, so he hasn't been able to go back, but but you know this is not the type of guy who just stays at home and complains. Uh, he did try to go back to work, and he has been able to find uh, uh, work as a delivery driver, and he does uh, uh, various deliveries here and there, working for various companies. So. Right. Before the accident, he was earning approximately $120,000 annually. Now, he's at about $80,000, okay? So there's a drop of about $40,000 per year. Significant, right? Very significant. Now, get this. The accident happened three years ago. The claim gets started about a year ago. Apparently, nothing has happened with his claim for the last year. Now, he says he's talked to his lawyer several times, and his lawyer keeps telling him they're, they're going to be scheduling the next step. You know, they're going to do it soon. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. But nothing has been happening. Absolute blackout. And, and, you know, when he's telling me this, and, of course, I'm asking him more and more questions. There are more details to the mm-hmm. claim. But at the end of the day, when we look at the full picture here, what are we dealing with? We're dealing with somebody who has had his income slashed significantly. Okay? And this is income that's obviously coming in to feed his family, to feed himself. Uh, and he's only 52 years old. He's got at least 13 years more, you know, if you yes. go by the uh, uh, standard wisdom that you're going to retire at 65, which nowadays, of course, that's not even the case. Uh, and the lawyer's not doing anything. And, you know, John, I've been getting a lot of people calling me uh, for second opinions. And oftentimes I'm listening to these cases and to these facts. And it's just, it breaks my heart that these people are suffering and they're not getting anywhere with the law firms that they're with. And sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes the cases are being handled correctly. And I tell the people they're handled correctly. Uh, so, so in this case, clearly, uh, you know, given the type of injuries we're dealing with and the fact that this gentleman uh, has been severely impaired from being able to go back to uh, the job that he used to do for so many years, the claim should have been started uh, well, in, well in advance of the two-year limitation period, the expiration of the limitation period. There is no reason for it to have waited. Uh, the next step for this gentleman is to, 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 to go through what's called the discovery, which is when uh, you know he, he gets to tell his story to uh, the defense lawyer, the insurance's lawyer. He gets to talk about how the accident happened, the impact on his life, on his family, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what happens after discovery with Toronto claims? So if you have a claim that gets started in Toronto, mm-hmm. uh, there is a mediation. 
And at mediation is generally where it is that you end up resolving claims. Which Not is all claims, which is excellent. Yeah. But you got to get there. You have to actually move the file forward. You got to move the claim forward. And if the lawyer is not doing it, you are relying on your lawyer, on the uh, law firm, to do what's in your best interest. Now, listen, keep in mind, I've had cases, and I still have cases right now, where I get pushback from other lawyers on the claim. Right. Okay, And sometimes that happens. It takes time to schedule these kinds of things. You have to coordinate with everyone's schedules, uh, the other lawyers, the insurance company, etc. But there's no reason for this case, for the last three years, to have had nothing happen on it. And in the meantime, this gentleman has lost at a minimum, at a minimum, forty thousand dollars wow. per year, right? So we're talking about a minimum one hundred and twenty thousand uh, dollars. And, and so, you know, there's no reason for that. So, so for people out there, if you have a claim for compensation that's ongoing, it should not be taking that long. And if it seems to you like nothing is happening on your claim, make inquiries. Uh, and you know, if still nothing happens, give me a call, and I'll be able to give you a reality check as to whether or not your claim is proceeding as it should be. What else we got? All right, so the next one is a long-term disability claim. And again, we've talked about long-term disability for uh, quite some time now. This is, uh, this is an interesting case. 39-year-old woman uh, who has had significant setbacks in the last five years. Really tragic case, John. Uh, she had three deaths in her, in her immediate family. Uh, she suffers from PTSD, post-traumatic stress mm-hmm. disorder, and significant depression. Uh, now, I'm sorry, I actually did not get a call from her. I apologize. I got a call from her father. Now, her father, and this happens often, by the way, when a family member is the, is the one that contacts me on right. behalf uh, of the injured or disabled individual. They're the ones that hear the show often. They're the ones right? who hear the yeah. show, and then the ones who become active and take proactive steps to help their uh, loved ones. Now, she's essentially non-functioning as a result of the PTSD and depression. Uh, she was receiving long-term disability payments for about... Um, Approximately a year, she was sent to a psychologist on behalf of the insurer who wrote that while she's still suffering from depressive disorder and PTSD, she should be able to do some kind of work. Now, I see this a lot. And again, I want to go back and and say this. Uh, In this case, she was sent to a psychologist that was hired by the insurance company. Okay, so already you have alarm bells here. Uh, Now, that's not to say that the psychologist is being biased. That said, who is paying the psychologist for this assessment? Right. The insurance company. So clearly, there is an interest there, a conflict of interest. At an least agenda, an apparent, perhaps. An agenda, perhaps. That would be my argument. Uh, and, and of course, you know, I, I what I did is I made an appointment uh, and uh, I, I went to, to speak with them and I met with both of them for about three hours in their home and, and I went through absolutely everything. And I got to tell you, John, after spending three hours with this lady and with her father, for the life of me, I don't understand. I have no clue how the psychologist uh, decided that she can actually do anything. I mean, she spends most of her days in bed. Uh, so really, really uh, a, 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 a tragic case. Uh, and, 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 you know, in fact... Um, since the insurance company cut her off, she actually tried to commit suicide. Come on. So, you know, we're talking about something very, very serious here. Uh, now, I told them that I can help. Uh, I told her that, uh, you know, based on the medical documentation that I have seen, uh, her claim, in my view, is a no-brainer. There's no reason why she was cut off or no good reason for that. We started to work on the claim. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, John, and I'll come back on the show and I'll talk about this specific case, that she will either be reinstated mm-hmm. with the insurance company paying her retroactively to the date that they cut her off, or, or we're going to enter into some kind of a global settlement right. that will take into account future benefits that she's going to be entitled to. So the lesson here is don't give up. Whatever happens, if you are on long-term disability, if you've been cut off, 
uh, if you've been denied long-term disability, don't assume that you are not entitled to these benefits, okay? Come and speak with me, call me, email me. Uh, trust me, in most of these cases, if you, the disabled person, or you care about somebody who is on disability and they were cut off or denied disability, and you think that's wrong, oftentimes there's a reason for why you think that. Oftentimes that's a legitimate concern. The number 416-216-5910. That'll get a hold of uh, Savannah directly for you. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to an email uh, a few minutes after we get back from the break. And uh, just ahead, we'll give you a handy-dandy tool. You have probably heard about it before, probably never run through it before. We'll do a test with you called the Injury Calculator. Lots more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show coming right up. Talk Radio, AM 640. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. I'll get to a, uh, an email from George here in, in about a moment. But uh, I mentioned, uh, Savan, the injury calculator. Tell us what it is and maybe we'll run through one. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The injury calculator is, a, is, is an online tool that is absolutely free. Uh, it's a unique tool in Canada uh, that we've created. Uh, it was about a year ago or so, I think, that, that we introduced it. So again, injurycalculator.ca, if you go to it, if you've been injured in an accident, car accident, trip and fall, slip and fall, and you want to know uh, what kind of compensation you're looking at, what potentially the law allows you to recover for your pain and suffering, you can input a few key pieces of information. I'm not talking about your name or your number, nothing that identifies you. Just, you know, the accident date, the location, how old are you, cause of your injury, was it a car accident or not, and the type of injury that you suffered. And once you input these um, Uh, pieces of information, the calculator then does a search through the database that we have inputted into it. So there's an Mm -hmm. algorithm and it looks at other cases across Canada. And uh, what it does is it spits out a range of potential compensation that you could potentially be entitled to get. So for example, if you have a back injury, and we're going to go through an example here, a specific example, but if you have a back injury, the calculator could potentially say that you're entitled to, let's say, forty to $60,000 worth of pain and suffering uh, compensation if you were, in fact, to uh, commence a claim. And again, there's other variables that, that, that factor into this, but you know, most people, when they come to me, uh, they're not coming to me because money is their primary goal or objective. Is They want to know what are they entitled to under the law in terms of compensation. They want to understand what their rights are, uh, but naturally they want to know, is it worth it? And you know, John, I've had cases where people came to me and I've told them, listen, you know, the injury is not that significant. It right. resolved within a week. Don't, don't bother. Move on. Know, move on. It's just not going to be worthwhile for you. Yeah. But this calculator allows you to input those pieces of information and get a range of what you can expect to get. Let's say uh, you want to run through it, see what we can come up with. Sure. So in- a, yep. an example. Absolutely. Injurycalculator.ca. Uh, it's asking me for the injury date. Uh, so let's put in uh, February of last year, February sure. 4th. Accident location, I'm going to put Toronto. How old are you? Let's say 40. Uh, the cause of your injury, car accident, who was at fault for the accident? Someone else. See how quick this is? Uh, and, and these are drop-down menus, right. by the way. Uh, did the injury uh, uh, affect your income? Let's yes. say yes, and uh, you know I'm not able to work. And now it's asking me, select the injury or the category that best describes your main injury. So select from neck, shoulders, leg, chronic pain. I will do leg. Leg, yeah. okay, all right. So we'll click leg, and now it's asking me, is it the toes, the whole leg, the tibia, the fibula, the thigh, the knee? Yeah, it's the, the thigh. The sure. thigh. All right. So I feel we're like I'm ordering chicken at a restaurant. <laughs> the breast and the leg, please. Uh, yummy. All right. Select the option that best describes your thigh injury. Is it a sprain or a strain, or is it a tear of some ligaments or muscles? Yeah. 
Yeah, the big yeah, one? Yeah, the big uh, one. You're feeling bloody today. Okay. <laughs> All right. So then you type in, you press continue, and, and here's what it says. It says, according to our survey of Canadian cases, you may be entitled to 35000 to $47,000 for your pain and suffering. What does that mean? So that means that if you were to start a claim uh, for compensation, and again, somebody else is responsible, right? I mean, you're not mm-hmm. claiming against yourself, and there is an insurance company we're dealing with, that insurance company is likely going to value your claim potentially as that range. It means okay. that for your pain and suffering, for that tear of uh, your thigh ligament, you may be entitled under the law for this amount, for 35000 to 47000 Why the range? How do, you come to, how do you come up with that range? Because when you look at cases across the country, we operate under the common law, which is the, the English system of laws, okay. right? It's the same thing with the U.S., New Zealand, Australia, and, and of course, in Canada, that's what we do. And, and what happens is we look at other cases, similar facts, similar injuries, similar age uh, for the person who suffered the injury. And you try and see, well, okay, in British Columbia two years ago, what did that judge over right. there in that county or that city say? That so all this the person, homework's already done. All the homework's been done. Yeah, yes. I mean, all these cases have been inputted into this calculator and there is this algorithm uh, that runs through. And what it does is it, it gives you sort of the range of, of what judges across the countries have said. And then you're never going to have all the judges giving you the exact same amount. It's right. just, you know, these are essentially arbitrary amounts, but we have to look at the case law to draw an inference. So, John, just so people there understand, if I were to go to court, okay, and by the way, these cases almost never get a court, but if I were to go to court and I was arguing in front of a judge uh, that, uh, you know, you suffered this thigh injury mm-hmm. and, and this, this uh, ligament tear, and I would tell the judge, uh, Your Honor, this is what John should be entitled to for compensation for pain and suffering. I would have to produce a list of cases, right? And the other side, the insurance company, would produce their list of okay. cases. And so this is exactly what this program essentially does. It hmm. looks through all of those cases and takes the range for each injury and sub-injury and provides that to you as the lay person who's looking to find out how much compensation you could potentially be entitled to now if you, you start a claim. You mentioned this is pain and suffering. Is that the only or is this the biggest component of your compensation or could it be? No, it's not. And, and oftentimes uh, that gets missed by, by people. You know, they'll call me up and they'll say, uh, you know, I, I broke my wrist or, or I, I tore my, my um, meniscus in my sure. knee. And, you know, I'm in a lot of pain or I've had a plate put in because I broke this or that. What am I entitled to? And yes, it's true. You're entitled to money for uh, the pain and suffering. But let me ask you other questions. Has this affected your ability to work? Has this affected your ability to do household chores? Cleaning the snow, of course. You know, I'm looking outside here and it's... uh, there's going to be a store sto- a snowstorm tonight. You know, have you been, have you had to 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 hire people to help you around the house? These are all types of expenses and damages that could be above and beyond that range that the program that we've created provides for you. And that you can't calculate. And online. you can't yeah, calculate. No, I need to speak with you. I need right. to understand. Just like the first case we mentioned with a gentleman who was in a car accident, who was earning one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year, and then uh, the the the, um, the income went down to eighty thousand, so it's a loss of forty thousand a year. His pain and suffering may be valued at about sixty thousand dollars, you know, altogether. Right. But, but the effect on the rest of his life. Can you imagine yeah. fifty-two years old losing about forty thousand dollars for the next, I don't know, fifteen years? Right. I mean, that's going to dwarf whatever he's entitled to for pain and suffering. So, of course, I can't create a program for that. I, I can talk to you and I can give you that advice after mm-hmm. I get enough information. Uh, but at least what this program does is it gives you a starting point. It allows you exactly. to understand how much for pain and suffering you could get. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca, the email address. We'll get to one right after the break. In the meantime, Savan's direct number, 416-216-5910. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640.
Savan's number anytime, 416-216-5910, and the email, which I'll get to right now, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. George from Barry writes in, Savan says, I had a car accident three months ago. I was rear-ended, and since then I've had difficulties concentrating at work. Uh, it's gotten to the point where I've now been warned about my performance. I'm afraid that I'll get fired, but I don't know what to do. Should I tell my employer about the accident? Should I talk to the other driver's insurance company? They keep calling. I'm not sure. Confused. Okay, so l- l- let me start from this. Before I answer the question, George, John, I've been getting a ton of emails. So it's worthwhile to give my email out, I think, uh, which is uh, uh, help at the insurancelawyer.ca. A lot of people have been have been emailing me, and and you know it's it's always a pleasure to me when I email back within literally minutes, uh, and and they're just shocked shocked at, at the fact that the response was so quick because that's how we operate. Because oftentimes, if if your if your questions if your question is precise, uh, you're going to get a very precise answer back. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I'm not going to just dance around the answer. So I, I encourage everyone out there who has questions about these kinds of cases to email me. Not going to cost you anything. I don't even know who you are, but I'll answer your questions. So, George, to answer your question, number one, should you tell your employer uh, if you've been injured in, a, in an accident? A hundred percent, you should. A hundred percent for a variety of reasons. Number one, once you tell your employer that you've been injured, your employer can't simply dismiss you for lack of of performance. If they do, as uh, my partner Lior Samfiro uh, often says on his show, that's a breach of the human rights code because mm-hmm. essentially the employer is firing you while you are disabled. So in a way, you're insulating yourself uh, in, in that way. The employer will have to accommodate your disability. Now, you're going to have to probably get something from your doctor to say, you know, to corroborate the fact you're oh. in an accident. Here are your limitations. Here are the modifications you need, etc. But there's another reason why you want to tell your employer, because somewhere in your employment file, this is going to get recorded. It's going to get recorded that you were injured and, and your performance, your job performance was somehow impaired as a result of the injuries. And why is that important? Because if you file a claim for compensation against the other driver or against whoever caused the injury, mm-hmm. their insurance company at some point will want some corroboration if you are in fact saying that the accident affected your ability to work, they're going to want some corroboration by way of looking, let's say, at your employment file. Where if they, if they look at your employment file and they see that you are saying that, um, you know, you, you're alleging that you were really severely injured and, and you have difficulty working, and yet they look at the employment file and they don't see that you even told your employer about your injuries, what does that say? Yeah, totally. It says one of two things. Either the injuries are not that severe or you're a liar because you're lying to your employer. Right? So you, you want to make sure that you're completely honest with your employer for all these reasons. Trust me, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. I know a lot of people are concerned that they're going to be let go. Again, this is why in our firm, we do both employment law and injury law, because whenever we have clients that have had injuries, we can protect them on both fronts. Uh, now, George, just as a last point, uh, you're asking if you should talk to the other driver's insurance company. A hundred percent, no. Do not communicate with the other insurance company. Uh, their job is to get as much information as they can from you. They're trying to assess mm-hmm. uh, their exposure in the event that you file a claim. You won't. You don't want to say anything to them that's going to get used against you down the road. Uh, so, no, absolutely not. Give me a call. Let's have a quick chat. I'll explain to you exactly what steps you need to take to protect yourself and what you could be entitled to if you proceed with a claim.
George, that number, 416-216-5910. You mentioned off the top some long-term disability questions and uh, some concerns, so we'll get to that. What are common myths that people should be mindful of when dealing with a long-term disability claim? There's really a ton of them out there, and if you were to Google long-term disability, you're going to come across a whole bunch of uh, websites and, and uh, wisdom that is being espoused by different lawyers and paralegals, etc. So l- l- let me just dispel some of the myths. L- let's go through five common ones that I generally see. Number one. Uh, oftentimes, I'm asked, if I'm denied or cut off LTD, uh, there's uh, there's nothing I can do. I'm powerless. And, and you know, m- there's just one word answer to that, nonsense. You have a lot more power than you think you do, okay? Insurance companies often play a game of chicken. As far as I'm concerned, that's absolutely despicable, but it happens all the time. They are betting that by denying or cutting off your disability payments, the majority of claimants will raise up their hands and walk away. Yeah. It's that simple. And you know what? But but the odds work. There is a reason why they're doing that because you're thinking this is Goliath, right? And I know it's corny, but I'll say it again, okay? With this whole Goliath thing, okay? Just remember who won that battle with Goliath, all right? It it, it wasn't Goliath. And and there is a reason why insurance companies pay out these claims. Remember a few weeks back, I told you I had a mediation on a claim that we started last year. Uh, and it was a lady who was told that she's not entitled to to any more benefits. And right. we're talking about severe cognitive issues that she was having. And the mediation that we had a few weeks ago, which I'm about to resolve now, okay, it did not resolve. It failed. I was not able to settle with the insurance company a few weeks ago because their last offer was in the low 200 thousands of dollars. So in other words, I can't give you the exact number. But it was just under $250,000 and I was asking over $300,000. So just think about that for a second. We, can't, we couldn't resolve it a few weeks ago and we're going to resolve it really, really shortly, within a matter of days really, because we were arguing over what, 50 grand, 100 grand? Yep. When initially, about a year ago, she came to me because they said you're entitled to nothing. Look how far so it what came. does that tell? What does that right. tell you? It tell you that they were they gambled and they gambled wrongly. Okay, they should not have cut her off, and that that's that's really the case with a lot of these kinds of cases that I see. Okay, so uh, don't assume that you're powerless. At the very least, contact me so that we can have a discussion. So we I can review your documents. I, I'll review the denial letter. I'll review the the, the policy of insurance. Uh, I'll review your medical documents, and it's going to cost you nothing. It's going to cost you nothing for me to review all this stuff and to tell you if you have a case or not. It's that simple. So that's the first myth. Uh, second myth, I don't need an insurance lawyer to help me with my LTD oh, dispute. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I guess the, the only thing I can tell you if you think that is good luck, absolutely good luck. Because unless unless you're used to dealing with insurance companies, unless you're in the field, unless you know what you're doing, then, then, how are you not going to need somebody who who can equalize the playing field? I mean, who does even, this every day? Who does this every it's your day? Gig. And and remember, I used to work for insurance companies in right. the past. Okay, so I, I understand how they operate. You know, would you treat yourself uh, if you have a serious medical ailment, or would you go to the doctor? It's the right. same idea. Okay, so enough about that. Number three, the insurer says that I have insufficient medical support for my LTD claim, so I guess I'm out of luck. I see this all the time when insurance companies say, sorry, we just don't have enough medical documents. Let's talk about that just after we come back from the break. The number is 416-216-5910 and an email that uh, Savan likes to hammer home, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Lots more of this coming up on the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio, AM640.
Savannah Tamarkin, the number to get a hold of him anytime, 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. When we uh, took a break, they were talking about long-term disability and some common myths that people uh, languish under when it comes to LTD, right? Right. And the last one we were discussing was uh, what to do when the insurance company says I have insufficient medical proof or support for yeah. my disability. Yeah, how common is that? Extremely right. common. Extreme. And if you think about it, what does that mean? The insurance company essentially says, sorry, all the medical documents you've given us, all the reports from your family doctor or psychologist or orthopedic surgeon, whoever it is, it's just not enough. What the hell does that mean? It's not enough. <laughs> they're supporting my, dis- they're saying I am disabled. What else do you want me to give you? Right. Right. Uh, so I, 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 can, I can tell you that it's, it's always funny to, to start a claim against an insurer when that's really the only uh, argument that they have, mm-hmm. especially when, when the individual gives me all these reports from the various doctors that are supporting the disability. Uh, and, and why am I saying that it's interesting is because when I speak with the adjuster, the adjuster, the adjuster literally uh, stutters. They, they have no idea what to say. All they can say is, oh, well, we had uh, some doctors on staff or, you know, they oftentimes have their own doctors who review these files. Right. They think that the, the doctors who provide the reports are incorrect or, or not, you know, we, we disagree with their opinions. So well, then what do you do? We start a claim and they fold very quickly. Very, very quickly, because once there is a legal claim gets started against the insurance company, it's no longer the insurance company that gets to decide if uh, there is sufficient or insufficient medical proof. They know that if this case went all the way to trial, to court, which again, I got to tell you, John, rarely, rarely do these cases ever go to court. Because it costs them money. It costs them money and they know they're going to lose. Okay, they know they're going to lose. If I have an army of doctors or I have all, 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 all the, the practitioners who've been treating my clients saying this person is disabled and the insurance company has one or two hired guns on their end, if you were the judge, who would you believe at the exactly. end of the day? They know, they understand that. Again, it's part of the psychology of we're going to cut you off and we'll see if you do anything about it. Right. We'll invite you to appeal. Okay, that's another little thing there, another little myth that uh, people yeah. think that if they appeal, they're going to be able to overturn the appeal. To the same people who got very them Very rare. It's very yeah. rare. It happens, but it's very rare. So anyway, so insufficient medical support for mental claim, amount of luck. No, that's oftentimes nonsense if your own doctors are supporting your disability. Number four out of five. I have to try to go back to work or else the insurer will, re- will be right in denying me um, or, or cutting me off LTD. Yes and no. It, it, it's a myth in that... You know, you have a duty to mitigate. You have a duty to follow your doctor's advice to try and get better. You have a duty to, if you can, try to go back to work. Right. And the insurance company will offer you tools, uh, a work hardening program, a work uh, retraining program. They'll try to work with your employer to get you back on your feet. Nothing wrong with that. We want you to go back to work. Uh, and I've had cases, by the way, John, where I've spoken with clients and I've told them myself, I, you know, based on everything I'm seeing here, maybe you should try to go back to work just to see if, if you're able to. Uh, but I will never say that if the person says to me, Sivan, I cannot go to work. I'm just not ready. Right. And, and what's more, my own doctors are saying that I should not at this point in time try to go back. It's going to make me worse. So who is the insurance company? Who's this adjuster that says, I know better than all these people. I know better than you and your body, John. I know better than your family doctor and your treating uh, psychiatrist or psychologist or physiatrist or chronic pain doctor. Who are they to say that despite all this medical advice and your body telling you that you cannot do it at this time, who are they to say, no, you should do it? They're just, they're just playing the odds game that you're going to fold and walk away. You got it. Yeah. Exactly. Let me ask this. And if a person hires you to help them with their disability claim, and you get this all, on, all the time, I know Lior gets this on the employment side, the fear of it's, it's souring their relationship with the insurer. No. 
It's not souring anything. Uh, and the reason for that is very simple because they're, they know that uh, a percentage of the people they're going to deny uh, disability benefits do are going to go and seek legal advice. Yep. So let me tell you um, what happens on the insurance side, having been an insurance lawyer in the past, once the insurance company gets that claim uh, in, in the mail, okay? Uh, what happens is that, first of all, they look at the claim, they look at the contents of the claim, and they assess the claim uh, in, in relation to the documents they have on file. And then they take a look to see who's representing that individual because that affects their assessment. If it's the if it's the person themselves who, who's representing themselves, oh, they're looking at their chops. They yeah, they they they, they, they f- for them that's that's great because then they don't have a lawyer on the other side who knows what they're doing. But even if they have a lawyer, they're going to look to see what kind of lawyer it is. Does the lawyer specialize in this area? Does the lawyer focus in this area? Uh, and, and you know they're going to act accordingly. So it's not going to sour anything. If anything, it's going to make them now respect your position, and it's going to make them think twice if they want to push you further along the claim because they know that they're going to have to have their lawyer dealing with the claim. And if the insurance company has to hire their lawyer or even if they have in-house lawyers, it costs them money. Costs them money. Uh, John, let me go through just the last uh, myth because I think it's important. Mm -hmm. Uh, This last one is this. I can't hire an insurance lawyer to help me with my LTD claim because I don't have any money to pay a lawyer. And I get this all the time. No kidding. Absolutely. So the way that most lawyers like myself work, it's on a contingency basis. It's a percentage basis. What does that mean? It means that you're paying absolutely nothing, which means that in a way we are joined at the hip. If I'm telling you you have a case, it's because from a business standpoint, for me, I think I'm going to succeed. Yeah, I'm going to make while. some money. I'm going to be able to pay my staff, the rent, etc. But it means ultimately that you are going to get money. And, uh, and you know, I, I tell people you have nothing to lose. On the other hand, uh, if you were to pay me in advance, and I know that some lawyers operate on that basis as well, if I were to tell you, you know, John, give me a thousand bucks as a retainer or two thousand dollars or whatever it is, you're concerned. You're concerned because you've given me money up front. You don't have to worry about that. Okay, you're not paying anything until your claim resolves. So that gives you some assurance. The re- and by the way, that's in in big uh, black bold letters in in our contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, and th- that gives you some assurance that you have really nothing to lose. So if you're coming to me with nothing, w- w- what's the point of not following my advice? I mean, sure. it's, it's your money, ultimately. It's your disability. It's up to you if you want to proceed or not. It's money that's owed to you and your family. But really, you have nothing to lose. So that's a myth, okay? You don't have to worry about paying anything up front to a disability lawyer. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll wrap up our chat uh, about long-term disability. Get to some more emails here on the Insurance and Injury Law Show after a short break on Talk Radio AM 640. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. That is the email. We'll get to one uh, very shortly. Just uh, one more question for you under the banner of uh, long-term, and that is if a disabled person hires you to fight their disability insurer and the insurer has their own lawyer, the assumption is that they're going to fight this claim right to the end because it's lawyer against lawyer, button heads. No, and I, I can tell you something more than that. Oftentimes, um, if I start a claim and I don't have a lawyer on the other side, I'm more pessimistic about the resolution of the claim. What does that mean? It means that when I'm starting a claim for compensation, and that's not just disability, that's also for personal injury. Right. If there is a car accident, whatnot. If I don't have the insurance company hiring their own lawyer, I am concerned. I'm concerned that there is no insurance. Because I want there to be insurance. Insurance companies do this on a day-to-day basis. They have adjusters. That's that's all they do. They deal with these kinds of claims. I want them to assign a lawyer, and I want to have that conversation with the other lawyer. Because believe it or not, as as, um, litigious as it may seem between lawyers, you know, we all watch movies, and you have Mm -hmm. these lawyers in courtrooms arguing back and forth. 
most of these cases never see a courtroom. You know, most lawyers that deal in this area have never even stepped inside a courtroom. Why? Because you can resolve these claims. They're not difficult. We're looking at the same sets of medical documents. We're looking at the same sets of facts. They get it. They get it. And that's why mediations are so effective. I want a lawyer on the other side so I can talk intelligently with that lawyer so that lawyer can go back to his client at the insurance company and persuade his client to pay what my client is owed for compensation. And oftentimes, that's how these claims get resolved. It's that simple. If I don't have a lawyer on the other side, then who am I talking to? No one. Yeah. So that's that's the answer to that. It's more of a pain if there's no lawyer there on the other side, right? It's more of a pain. And it yeah. goes, it's uh, vice versa. Insurance companies hate it when an individual starts a claim and they don't have a lawyer because then to deal with that individual is also a pain sure. in the butt. Right, because then you have to educate the individual, and and you know whether they listen to you or not is a different takes story. more time, it takes and so on more time. and so forth. Right? right, help at the insurancelawyer.ca is the email address. Laura from Oshawa says a close friend of mine recently appealed her long-term disability cutoff and got rejected again. What is the point of hiring a lawyer if she lost the appeal? So, Laura, this is interesting. So, uh, I'm just going to uh, digress for one second. Uh, last week. I was just passing by the office, and one of the assistants, one of our legal assistants, uh, asked me uh, if, if I wouldn't mind speaking with uh, w- one of the clients or one of my lawyers. It's, it's an employment client, okay? So it's an individual who lost her job, uh, but that person is also in disability. So I'm asking her some facts about the case, and she's telling me, yeah, that person asked uh, if we can help her with her disability case because she's just filed her appeal for her LTD cutoff, and uh, she's afraid she's going to get rejected. And I said to her, 100%, tell her to call me. I don't know why she even did the appeal. Most of these appeals are absolutely useless. Hmm. So, Laura, that goes to you now. If she lost the appeal, if she didn't lose the appeal, whatever, as soon as you get cut off, long-term disability or denied, you contact me. You don't do an appeal. These appeals are useless. You're appealing to the same people who cut you off or denied you in the first place. And if by chance you're one of the lucky ones uh, that uh, the appeal goes through, I, I can guarantee you, you're going to have issues in the future because there was a reason why they denied or cut you off in the first place. So don't waste your time with appeals. Come to me directly. These appeals just drag on the process. It's again, as far as I'm concerned, it's another tactic by the insurance companies to wait uh, to pay you what's owed to you. 416-216-5910. That's the number to get a hold of Savannah. Not here at the station, but anytime. That's his own personal number and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. So this past week was, uh, go figure, we thought we were in the clear. The biggest snowfall of this winter just happened. So a lot of these, not just car accidents, we're talking slip and falls happening everywhere. If someone is injured in a slip and fall accident, whether they're walking into a store or schoolyard, whatever, um, who do they need to notify? Well, that's very important to understand. So it all depends on who it is that, uh, sorry, w- w- where you fell. Uh, so for example, if if, um, if you fell indoors or outdoors, if it's indoors, preferably you're going to be notifying the owner of the premises. If it's a store, call the manager, tell the manager, mm-hmm. make sure they do an incident report. Uh, most stores, most uh, retail stores, malls, uh, just generally places where you and I would go on the weekend, on the on the weeknight, uh, they, they have some kind of a, of, a, of a procedure for filing reports if you notify them of a fall. And that's very important because when you start the claims process, that document that gets created at a time when you fell or right after you fell is something that becomes central. They're going to record the type of injuries you had, what caused you to fall, etc. So if you fall indoors, you make sure you notify someone, the manager, a worker, someone. Uh, If it's outdoors, it depends if it's a city property or not. And we spoke about that before as well. This is key. If you slip and fall on a city sidewalk, for example, on city property, 
you have to notify the city clerk within 10 days. This is very important. I've had situations, John, where people have called me on the ninth day and instead instead of telling them, you know, here's what you need to do, I said, you know, let me send a letter. We'll figure out exactly who the city clerk is. And I, I notify the city clerk myself that this individual may start a claim against the city depending on the mm-hmm. injuries, right? Just to preserve that 10-day notice period provision. Right. It doesn't mean that if you didn't notify the city within 10 days, you have no claim, but it becomes a lot more difficult to argue that you do have a claim because you fail to meet that 10-day notice requirement uh, under the municipal act. So very important, that, you know, if you're injured because of a slip and fall or a trip and fall, you know, sometimes the injuries are so severe that you're incapacitated. I mean, you're, you're taken to hospital. If you can, ask someone, a friend, a family member to report uh, the injury for you. Don't be one of those people who three months after the fact writes a letter to the store saying, by the way, three months ago on this particular day or that week, I fell in your store because then it looks suspicious. Totally. It just looks really strange. And I'll tell you, as a defense lawyer, having done these kinds of claims in the past, I would really take exception to those kinds of cases. I, I, I would, I would, you know, credibility is, is key for me. Why did you wait three months to make that kind of a... And now a, it's a problem? A, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. strange. If I can't find, you know, if I'm totally in the dark after that and I still don't know who to notify, can I just call you? Yes. Give me okay. a call. Email me. Uh, my staff is, is quite good in figuring out who should be notified in almost every circumstance. Uh, and, uh, you know, and like I said, at the very least, you, you, you'll have an idea of how to proceed. And we'll tell you what other steps to take if, if you want us to give you that advice. It costs you nothing. We do this all the time. It's literally a few seconds, uh, you know, from our day. 416-216-5910 is that number. The email address is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. More coming up, the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. Savan's so number, 416-216-5910. His email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to one of those emails right now. This comes from Ron, a little lengthy here. I'll read it from Scarborough. says, I uh, slipped at a store last month because the entrance was wet. There was no carpet. broke my wrist and have to be off work now for a while because I work online at a factory. I'm really concerned about not being able to work. I've got two kids and I don't have much savings. I spoke with the paralegal who said that he can help. But the maximum she can claim is forget this $25,000. Is that all I can get for my injury? And what if I lose more than that because I can't work? You know, I'm so happy, Ron, that uh, you, you chose uh, to, to email us. And, and this is one of those emails, uh, John, that is so important. And we've talked about this before. The difference between a paralegal, a licensed paralegal, and a lawyer in Ontario is that paralegals uh, are only allowed to deal in small claims court when it comes to monetary compensation. Okay. They can also do human rights uh, tribunal and things like that, but they're not allowed to start claims in what's called superior court. In other words, they are limited to a claim for twenty-five grand. Now, Ron, uh, depending on the significance of the fracture of your wrist uh, and whether or not you'll need uh, surgery or plates, you know, things like that, first of all, just your pain and suffering damages could exceed $25,000. If you're losing money at work, you are definitely entitled to that as against uh, the store. And it would be their insurance company that we would be dealing with. The paralegal is telling you that uh, the maximum that uh, he can pro- he can get you is 25 grand because that's the maximum he's allowed as right. a paralegal to get for you. Okay, your claim could easily be worth just, just by the mere, the, the, the simple fact you're giving me here, uh, uh, six figures. I mean, if you can't work, if let, let, let's do simple math, John. Let's assume for a second that his pain and suffering is worth $20,000. Sure. Okay. Let's assume for a second this person, uh, that Ron, is 50 years old. And because of his injuries, he's now losing, let's say, 10 grand a year for the next, let's say, 15 years. There you go. 
That in itself is $150,000 just for the income loss. Add to that the pain and suffering of $20,000. Add to that any other out-of-pocket expenses. I don't know if he needs any any medications. Uh, uh, don't get a grocery, snow shovel, whatever. all that Exactly. Stuff, yeah. So you can be dealing with a case that's worth $175,000, $200,000, maybe more than that. So yeah, absolutely, Ron, you are definitely entitled to more than that. And people out there... If, if you are dealing with a paralegal, there's nothing wrong with that. There is a lot of good licensed paralegals out there. In fact, there's some paralegals out there that I would say are better than some of the lawyers I know. But that's not the issue. The issue is, are they limited in right. what they can do for you? And the answer is, especially in this case, Ron, yes. Uh, and, and so it's very, very important that, you, that people understand the difference between uh, the licensed paralegals and lawyers. And, and uh, Ron, what I would say is, give me a call uh, and... Um, you know, we can discuss your claim in more detail. I want to ask you a little bit more about the income loss component uh, and, and what's going on with your wrist and what the doctors are saying uh, that is in store for you for your wrist. 416-216-5910 is that number there, Ron. And uh, well, we'll touch on car accidents because it's been, uh, you know, a hellish week for that with the past snow we had. Because cars, you know, people don't buy snow tires. They don't listen. <laughs> they got to stop right. them. But they're going into guardrails and other cars. So many people are afraid to make claims for compensation after a car accident because, you know, they see trials on TV and they don't want to go through it and... You know, what really happens when you claim for compensation after a car or compensation after a car accident? Do you go to trial? No, you don't. You don't. And, and you know, these horror stories that we hear about people who are going through this process uh, of, of getting, trying to get compensation for pain and suffering and income loss, et cetera, and this dragging on for six, seven, eight, nine years, ending up at trial and, you know, them getting a few thousand bucks out of it. No, that's not what normally happens. In fact, it's very, very rare to go to trial. And it's rare for the reason that I, I've given you before, John, which is it's very expensive for the insurance companies. They have to pay for their lawyers to do it. Yeah. A- and you know, oftentimes, it's not difficult to figure out the value of the case, the monetary value under our legal system. Okay? There's no, there are no surprises there. The documents are shared by everyone. So like, it, 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 this is not like TV where you, know, you go to trial and, and this person suddenly shows a, a new document or, or a new report that the other side has never seen before. That's not allowed under our, medical, uh, sorry, under our legal system. There's no trial by ambush, as they say. <laughs> so no, it, it, this, it's not like you see on TV. These kinds of claims are generally not difficult to resolve. Uh, not every case, not in every situation, you're entitled to compensation, but that's why you speak with me. That's why I'll tell you off the bat if I think that you have a case or not, and it's going to cost you absolutely nothing. And, and this is all we do. This is all what my team and I do at the office. Uh, so no, you do not have to go to trial. And I'll tell you this even more. Let's say, worst case scenario, John, worst case, insurance company gives you absolutely zero and says, no, we're going to take you all the way to trial. Worst case scenario, you can always say no and drop the case if you want to. Right. But I'm not going to take your case on unless I think that you can recover. You bet. I'm not, because I'm not getting paid until you are. It's that simple. Take this number down, 416-216-5910. 416-216-5910. The email anytime is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And for pain and suffering and want to get a ballpark of what it could be worth for a friend, a family member, yourself, possibly, go to injurycalculator.ca. Do it for another week. Back next week with more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio, AM640.